This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for April 10th, 2017. In this podcast, we have part two of the major and pretty tense interview that began last Monday with the self-described white nationalist Nathan Demigo. You might want to go back and listen to that first if you haven't listened already. Anyway, that interview continues in today's show. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. Make your view heard and get it included in the next show. Email your opinion to podcast at challengingopinions.com and we can discuss it in the next podcast. I want to ask you straight up, there is racial prejudice and violence in the United States. Would you condemn that without reservation? Violence? Yes, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm not for uh, utilizing violence just because you hate other people. I am. Have you ever been involved in racist that. violence? No. Have you been convicted for assaulting someone on a racial basis? No, not on a racial basis. No. No. Uh, I I came back from Iraq. I had some very serious issues when I was coming back, and and. Um, for uh, those of your listeners who are not familiar where we're going with this conversation, mm-hmm. um, I did two tours in Iraq. I was in the Marine Corps. I thought I was doing a very good thing, uh, you know, from everything I'd heard. The Saddam character was no good. He was uh, terrorizing his people horrendously. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I thought I would do a good thing. I would go deliver democracy to the Iraqi people. And so I signed up. Um, and I didn't just sign up for any uh, specific area of the military. I went right into infantry. I wanted to help a people that uh, I believed to be uh, in, a, in a really bad situation. Uh, and I, I thought that I could make their lives better. Now, you know, we can go into that another time. Yeah. Uh, but much of that was was based off of a lot of ignorance on my part as an 18 year old kid. Uh-huh. So. That being said, uh, you know, I did experience combat. I had friends who were killed. Uh, I came back and, and was having a horrific time uh, trying to, uh, you know, integrate back into society. It just it didn't happen. And uh, as a result, there was there was a tragedy there. And um, hang on a second now. What's a tragedy? A tragedy is something that, uh, you know, you, you can't. Uh, well, it's, it's the, the, just something on, that's Nathan, sad. The reality it's is just, you launched an unprovoked attack on someone. What's that? You you attacked someone. Isn't that true? You served prison time for... Uh, yes, I, I had a flashback uh, and and I flipped out and I, I almost hurt a guy very badly. And it, it's something that I'm not proud of. It's, it's something that uh, I have felt uh, a lot of guilt over. Um, and even though I, I, I knew that, that what had happened was something that was... Uh, you know, I, I was not in my, my right state of mind. I, I did not, I, you know, really understand what I was experiencing or going what, what through at the time. What were you charged with? Uh, I was charged with uh, an armed robbery because uh, after the incident, I had taken uh, some of the man's property. And what was the incident? 
well, the incident was was that um, you know I was uh, the incident was basically that uh, I had been um, uh, seriously uh, inebriated. I had been uh, when I came back. I was uh, using lots of alcohol. I could not sleep. Uh, I was up for days, and um, I, I stumbled across uh, a, a gentleman that uh, on the streets that I, I thought was uh, coming into uh, a vehicle checkpoint. Um, I, I, I didn't know what was going on. It was it was nighttime. Um, I didn't know why I was there in Iraq. We would shut the shut the checkpoints down and everything. And, you know, I grabbed this guy, I put him down. Um, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, okay. He, he started saying things to me like, don't shoot. I Look, this, this whole situation was something that, you know, you can take it out of context if you want. But when you look at all the, uh, the, the, you know, all the things happening around uh, this. Nathan, I appreciate the context. I also appreciate, I also appreciate I your, 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 your honesty on that. But, but you were convicted of felony assault, weren't you? And you no, did jail time. No, I wasn't. Uh, that's that's no, not assault. It was armed robbery. Excuse me, you you were convicted of felony armed robbery, and you did jail time for yes. that. But I, I want yes, to move on I, to that because yeah. I don't want to spend the whole interview on that, even though I do think it's relevant. Um, the the one thing that you mentioned, which I think is relevant, is what friction that you get with groups when you have a mixed society, and my view on that is that essentially. It is the litmus in a society. It, it is the color that allows you to see what's going on. But friction and so forth exist in all societies. And where race is not available as a motivator or as an excuse, people just use something else. And the one, possibly the, the worst genocide of recent years happened in Rwanda. And in Rwanda, for centuries there have been two intermingled ethnic groups it's a complex situation and it doesn't really map to anything that happens in the uh, European world but the Tutsis and the uh, Hutus live often but not always side by side and often with tension many Tutsis were murdered by Hutu extremists during this genocide but in areas where no Tutsis lived the Hutu extremists just murdered other Hutus, and the evidence is that it was increasing population, land shortages, and petty rivalries were the true motivations for this, and that race or ethnic differences just had nothing to do with it. Isn't it true that, Nathan, what you're doing is you're allowing some rich people to set up the conflict as though it was the nearly poor against the really poor? And this is something that... that well, I, I very much do think that uh, there is class conflict within society, which is another form. I'm not saying that this is the only uh, type of conflict that occurs within society. However, it is it is uh, it is one of the biggest uh, things. Uh, now, you know, class conflict is is another one that we can look at. And in, in fact, I think that uh, you know, to be quite honest, I think that uh, you know, oftentimes one of the arguments we hear, especially uh, from People of color who are claiming that uh, the reason why there are differences in uh, in in, in uh, socioeconomic outcome between groups 
differences in rates of incarceration and so on. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they'll do is they'll point to these people who are in power and they'll say, look, those those are white people. They are, you know, this is this this shows that uh, there is discrimination going on, uh, a systemic discrimination going on because it's primarily white people. Mm-hmm. And um to to be honest, uh, many of us find that uh, rather strange and odd, being that uh, these same exact people are actually uh, advocating for policies that are hurtful to <laughs> Europeans over time, and that. But hang on a second, you're not a European; you're an American. Yes, I, I am a person of European heritage. But you're an American. I mean, come on. When... Well, this is this is simply semantics, really. I'm a person of European no, heritage. But you're talking I about race, European. not nationality. There, I am. I am talking about race, not nationality. Okay, I so when I ask you where you're racist at the top, clearly that has very negative te- connotations. But in the very technical, precise sense, you make decisions based on race. That's the definition of racism, isn't it? I make decisions based on the data. And the data says I, I am essentially a progressive. Uh, I want to see social, political and economic progress uh, within the socio-political space that I live in. Mm-hmm. And that means looking at what the data says. So if the data says that multiracialism, multiculturalism uh, it, it, and all those things lead to a greater amount of conflict, a lower amount of trust then I'm going to advocate for policies that reduce those things within that socio-political space. Do you think that sociology sometimes is marshaled into an army that it doesn't really belong to and that uh, data is being twisted and almost tortured to try and get a result that it doesn't support? Well, that's why we have to look at the data. Sure. Do you have any qualifications to do that? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, Robert Putnam is is a pretty good person to look at. He, uh, Robert Putnam, actually is a a Harvard, uh, I believe it's political scientist who actually did the largest amount of research. Who um, uh, he actually was was given just uh, tons of money and, and grants to research this. He actually set out to prove that uh, diversity would actually increase uh, all these things and would would make life better for everyone. And the, the results he found were, were so damning that he actually kind of sat on them for a couple of years until enough people were kind of like, hey, man, like, why aren't you releasing this data? And so he basically eventually uh, released it um, much to his. Uh, You're saying it didn't it didn't follow his agenda. No. Um, and uh, to, to be honest, that's usually a really good indicator. And there have been, uh, you know, when people find the opposite. Uh, when they're going to prove something is is first off uh, a good indicator that there's something going on here, but also the fact that uh, you know part of science is is uh, repeating the process, and there have been uh, multiple people as well who have uh, r- repeated this research and, and well, found to, the same to talk, thing. To talk and this is something about that in the, in the last say hundred years. In the last say hundred years, do you think that immigration or nationalism has done more damage? Well, I'm not going to say that nationalism isn't a problem. The reason I ask is because I'm sitting. No, Nathan. Nathan. The reason I ask is because I'm sitting in Berlin. I'm sitting mm-hmm. in Berlin as I'm recording this. From Berlin, the whole of Europe was laid to waste by nationalism within the last mm-hmm. century. Yeah, um, and what do you think is going to happen in another twenty to forty years when it's uh, you know mostly being uh, you know 
Middle Eastern and, and African men who believe in a very, uh, you know, violent religion of conquest and who are already using that, like we saw yesterday, uh, to, to try to uh, conquer Europe and, and subjugate Europe into uh, their own religious beliefs. What, what do you think is going to happen then? Uh, so this is just, this is kind of, uh, you know, you do have a point there that, that well, nationalism what do you think is going to happen an then? issue. I actually think that in some ways, I actually think that, uh, you know, having an open system among uh, different European uh, nation states, something like the, I, the, the EU and trying to, in a way, unify Europe was was a good thing. I'm actually not against that. I think the problem was that they began bringing in people who were so radically different uh, that they would never uh, be able to assimilate and who also just had very different uh, ways of understanding the world and uh, just just were were unable to to practice, um, uh, you know, what we do. I, I, I think that uh, I think that you know, liberalism, I, I think democracy, I think many people fail to see that that is, uh, you know, essentially unique to European people. It's not something we, it's something we rarely see uh, elsewhere around the world. And uh, I, you know, I, I truly don't believe that, uh, you know, importing all these people from around the world is is uh, is going to make uh, Europe uh, better. I don't believe that it's going to uh, you know, the the issues, the economic global issues that we're dealing with, I don't believe it's going to make those better. And I think it's going to set us all up for a, a very serious tragedy, f perhaps, you know, hopefully not, but perhaps far worse than, than the last great. Can I, can I stop you just to agree with you on two points? Number mm -hmm. one, I think that no less than any other place in the world, there's a lot special about Europe. And the invention of liberal democracy has been associated in Europe, has been associated with a level of peace and prosperity that is unknown in the entire history of humanity. So I, I grant you that. I think that, I think that's correct. I think the liberal European style democracy is very important. And the second thing that you're saying, I don't want to dis dismiss it completely. I think there's some things wrong rolled up in there, but we have uh, both in the United States and perhaps more so in Europe, immigration from countries that are that have significant cultural differences, in particular the value placed on personal freedoms and in particular the personal freedoms of women. And it would be naive not to expect once in a while or perhaps more often than that, those what we would regard as more backward attitudes to be imported with uh, immigration. And I have no hesitation at all to say that people who are immigrating to Western countries should be not in an aggressive way, but certainly in a very assertive way to, to, to be told that this is how we do things and this is how we are going to continue to do things. But I was looking at your website and hosted on your website are, for example, video saying, and this is a direct quotation, if women are allowed a voice in matters that pertain to the safety of the nation, then that nation will die. And it was advocating the removal of the right to vote for women. Uh, that's a huge contradiction there, Nathan. Well, you're you're talking about a video just for your audience. You're talking about a video by a YouTube personality named uh, Black Pigeon Speaks. Mm -hmm. And it was, I, I, it was actually to it. a critique. Yeah, it, it's a it's a very interesting video. It's but, one but it's that prominently has, featured on your website. 
you're okay. Just to just to let your audience know what you're talking about is I have a website under my name, not uh, Identity Europa, but I have a website under my name with a uh, a bunch of links to different videos that I find very fascinating. That is one amongst them, and it's a very interesting hypothesis that I would encourage your uh, your listeners to go watch. Um, whether oh, that oh, come on, Nathan! No, no, it's not a bunch not, of links. It's about seven videos that you have on 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 a page, and I'd encourage, I'd encourage your audience to watch the whole thing. So, so, so would I. I, I would have to say that uh, the hypothesis is is a pretty interesting one, and so without further data, I don't think I could reject it. And see, this is this is this is part of the problem with our our contemporary culture, which is just this. Oh my goodness, he said something. This this might hurt people's feelings. No, no, Nathan, I. Explicitly said, no, Nathan. I explicitly said that I think it's important to listen to uh, yeah. both your point of view and every other one. And I think it's a bad idea that people are, you know, if it happens that people are either ashamed or nervous to say what they're thinking, then that's not a good thing for society. I, I, I said that explicitly, and I think that applies to you as much as everybody else. Yeah. But, but Nathan, this is one of about seven videos on, on your website, and they tend mm -hmm. to go in this in the same direction. But you, you must see that there's a connection between everything that's wrong with the Islamic world is centered on the denial of individual rights, particularly for women. To then be quoting so clearly so approvingly. No, I, I think you kind of misunderstand like what, what I kind of believe is is the problem with with mass immigration. I think uh, one of the one of the issues with that is oftentimes uh, religion is kind of used as a proxy to discuss the actual racial angle as well. Yeah, I now, agree with that for sure. That's not to say that the culture of Islam is a good thing. I, w I, I think that uh, the Islamic culture is not something that's positive. I think that it brings out the worst in people, um, and I think we've even seen that there have been some uh, people of European heritage who have converted to it and uh, have done some pretty nasty things too. Uh, as a result. So, you know, that, not to say that that's that cultural aspect isn't a factor, but oftentimes because people aren't able to talk about the racial factor, they use that as a proxy. And so I don't I, I, I do want to make it clear that I'm not I'm not simply uh, while I, I'm willing to talk about the culture, I'm also actually willing to talk about the racial aspect of it, too. And I think that uh, for many uh, Muslim men across Europe. It's not just simply an, uh, something of culture, but it's, it's an, it's an issue of, of race as how, well. How do you separate the and, two? Uh, it's, it's very, well, race well, to the extent so that it exists is, is a very... genetic difference. Are you seriously saying that, for example, um, Egypt is about 80% Muslim, about 20% Christian, but the people are genetically indistinguishable. Are you saying no, that? No, and that's you're you're putting words in my mouth here. Oh, oh, oh well, no, I'm trying to get them out of <laughs> your mouth. But you can to, separate to, to, to an extent. There, there is a great amount of of overlap between race and culture, which is you know people of of Middle Eastern heritage, you know, basically largely practice Islam, whereas people of European heritage well, largely country, practice but, Christianity but or true, yes. or or are atheistic. So I, I'm not trying to confound the two. I know sometimes it's hard for people to separate them uh, because other people can practice, other people of other races can practice that culture. But that's not necessarily uh, the, 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 the main issue. I, I, I think uh, that that is a, a large part of it. That is, that is for, uh, for you, what's the main issue?
Well, I, I think they're both kind of issues, to be honest. Okay, uh, both fair the, enough. Both I, the, I think the that they're just linked by the, coincidence. I mean, yeah. clearly the culture of different places is different. And for obviously historical uh, reasons, up to recently people stayed in more or less the same place. So you have genetically similar people close together and who are close culturally. But there's no reason to think that their genetic similarity has anything to do with that. It's just the fact that they're physically close and they interact and they're members of the same society. No, no, I don't I don't believe their genetic similarity has anything to do with them all practicing the same culture. That has much to do with history and, uh, you know. Okay, so, so how, then how where, does, where does race come into it? Well, race race comes into an issue because, uh, you know, these people are of a different racial group. And so that also plays a large issue because of identity. Uh, they see themselves, uh, people of African heritage, people of, of Middle Eastern heritage, see themselves as, as very different from uh, European people. And that when someone such as yourself, uh, and as you said earlier, you know, you want to impress upon them your values – uh, they see that uh, not simply as as you know attack against their well, culture. Wait, who's, they who's also they? see that as an attack against at people of 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 uh, African heritage, people of of Middle Eastern heritage. Uh, these people who are coming from uh, racial backgrounds that are very different from European people that you know can are can be uh, can very much see themselves as 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 a people. And are, see are you, hold on a second, Nathan. Are you speaking for? everybody who isn't white <laughs> you're saying uh, what they see themselves yeah, I, as sure 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 listen to I them think, rather than well, you identity is not always conscious uh it, but there's oftentimes i mean yeah, why but hang on a second if they're, if they're not conscious of their identity how are you conscious why, of their identity better than why why do you constantly hear people screaming racism when you critique their culture that's because they think that you are attacking them based on on their racial identity as well and so when I say they, I'm speaking of those people who are who are screaming the R word at, at people like you, not even people like me, people like you who are critical of, uh, of say, Islam. Why they, why they won't call you a culturist, they'll call you a racist because, uh, you know, in their minds, they, they are uh, unable to uh, separate the two. I think you're dead wrong. Uh, and and, and Nathan, oh, hold on for a second, Nathan. Nathan, I, Nathan, hold on for one second. I, I said when I thought you were right, and on that I think you're dead wrong. Because, and here's why I think it. Because clearly, when you have sections of the population, such as the perhaps skilled manual workers in Michigan and, uh, and uh, Wisconsin who flipped to Trump, when you have people who are under threat, they're going to look for a scapegoat. And the my, my point on that is, when it's somebody that's visually distinctive, that's easy to make them a scapegoat. And to sure. say that it is a cultural difference, I think is flat wrong. And here's the reason why I think it's flat wrong. It's because the people who hold that view the strongest are actually the people who are most similar to those cultures and criticize me if you like for using the word, but people who are most racist in the United States are people whose beliefs are most sexist, most homophobic and closest to this perhaps cliche of Middle Eastern intolerant society. The people who are least racist are actually the people whose culture is most distant from that. 
and so I think it's, imp- it's entirely implausible. I think it's completely implausible. No, there are people. There are people who, who, like you said, are are the farthest from that. They they have very little experience with multiracialism, multiculturalism. They may have some like Asian guy down the street who's yeah, pretty nice, and and maybe a, a black guy, but they've point. never actually lived. Uh, in in serious multiracial neighborhood, they've never actually experienced that. Exactly, and, and the votes for Trump, Nathan, the votes for Trump were highest, at, where diversity I mean, was lowest. Very, you know, all that language is is has is just buried in, in roots of classism. Like I said, going back to things, yes, there is class conflict there too. And so, uh, you know, you have people in, in the upper class who, who stick down their nose at these people who are forced to live amongst the people who are imported into the country and who see the, the problems that, that this causes and experience that. And then these people who are promoting the, these things are living out in their, their lily white neighborhoods way out in the countryside somewhere or in some gated community and are completely separate from all that. No, hold on, hold on uh, for a second. Uh, Nathan, what you're describing is is that people with least experience of other cultures are the people who are most afraid of it. Somebody who is waiting tables, trying to make rent in New York, standing beside perhaps on one side of them uh, uh, an American of a different race and on the other side of them uh, an immigrant of a different race, they're typically the least racist people. The most racist people are the people who are afraid of their jobs going overseas, who work maybe in an auto plant in Wisconsin that's likely to be uh, shut down. It's people who have very little experience of uh, of other races. Although I would grant that you're correct that, for example, upper class uh, people, very wealthy people who are familiar with jet setting and so forth, I think typically the Donald Trump types, I don't believe that Donald Trump is a racist. I think he's a lot of things, but I don't think he's a racist because he just gets to meet lots of people from other countries. Fear, uh, ignorance breeds fear. Isn't it true? Uh, yeah, but that doesn't really get us to truth. Um, you know, you can say, you know, fear and ignorance breeds fear and ignorance. And, and that may be, you know, a, no, ignorance you know, a true statement fear. that may be a, a true statement, but that doesn't mean that, uh, I don't know. What is that? Like, what? W- Sure, that's true. Yeah, like, but what what are we saying? Like, I, you know, personally, I think that one of the things that's breeding a lot of hatred is is this uh, this equality fetishism that we have. Uh, I think that breeds a lot of hatred. A lot, really, and, a lot. Animosity. Yes, I do. Okay, yeah. I, I think you probably we've right seen that entire it's, it's we've seen entire but... cities burned down in my country over this. <laughs> so, For example, yes, I, I think it does. Um, uh, are you not familiar with uh, with Mike Brown? Oh, and with what happened in Ferguson? Uh, sure. I'm not sure that that was um, white people protesting against the culture of equality, though. No, it was, uh, you yeah, know, it was it was uh, black people who, who burned their city down uh, off of a lie, uh, off of a lie that uh, a, a man was was uh, had his hands up and, and was uh, not doing anything. And that was just simply a lie. Do you, and do, do you think it's a lie that black people suffer racist violence? Because of the amount of hatred and animosity that uh, people in, in the African community have uh, towards people of European heritage, because decade after decade after decade, they've been told that, uh, you know, uh, at, you know if, if, we just, if we just make these adjustments, if we just, 
you know, if, if we have affirmative action, if, if we have integration, uh, you guys will be able to exceed at the same rate that we are. And after being all told all this stuff and, and it didn't happen, uh, and, and much of this was, uh, again, all based off of an equality, uh, an assumption of equality, um, you know, and then when that doesn't happen, uh, then, then things, then well, do you happen. think, Nathan, that there that there doesn't exist racist violence against black people in the United States? Uh, sure, but not and do on you think that there exists? No, hold on for a second. Do you, do you, do you think that there exists a very high level of low level racism against black people in the United States? Ninety percent of interracial violence in the United States. No, not whites violence. The, low level racism. Whites, whites are the victims of ninety percent of interracial violence. Uh, for starters, just just so you know that, because that's a that's something that never gets talked about. I, I, um, I'm I'm not sure about those statistics, although I will uh, post them on the notes for this podcast. But I'm talking about low level racism. Uh, color of, uh, give, give your audience a link for the color uh, of crime. Uh, that's a really really good research paper to look at. But um, as far as things go, sure, any a a multi-racist society, a multi-racial society is a multi-racist society. Um, That's just simply how (laughs) that's just simply what happens. Nathan, we've gone gone way over time. So I want to finish with one question. What does success look like for you and your organization? I think success looks like influence. I, I think it looks no, no, like no, no, having... no, not 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 intermediate success. If what you wanted to happen in society happened, what, what would the United States look like? Um, you know, I I I couldn't tell you what it's going to look like because that's kind of pie in the sky thinking right now. Tell, tell me your uh, pie in the what sky. What we want to see is we want to see a nation that operates, uh, you know, based on the data. We, we want a nation that, that says, okay, you know, historically, empirically, this is not a good thing for our country. And as a result, does not advocate, uh, you know, for policies and, and does not create policies uh, that, that uh, you know, lead us towards a, 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 a you know, a, a, um, a regression of uh, social and, and political advancements that we've had. Okay. Nathan D'Amigo of uh, Identity Europa, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, William. What's your opinion? Can you explain it on the next show? Email podcast at challengingopinions.com. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on April 10th, 2017. I have links in the show notes to Nathan D'Amigo's website and blog, Do you know someone else who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'd really be interested to hear your feedback. And if you like the podcast, there's one thing that you can do that would really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes, give the podcast a rating, and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at ChallengingO, You can also follow Nathan D'Amigo at Nathan D'Amigo. And most important of all, subscribe to the show. It's free. You can use iTunes if you use an Apple product or Google Play Music if you're on Android. There's links for both of those and the RSS feed if you use that. You can find them and get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. Coming on Wednesday, that's April 12th, I'll have the blogger and podcaster Julie Davis, who says that she's happy to be a Catholic. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.